You are entering the Freedom Hut. The anti-Kavanaugh assault looks like it's coming apart. All of these accusers now are under greater scrutiny because of the fabrications, misstatements, changing statements, and lies. Does this mean that Republicans will hold the line? Can Mitch McConnell get the rest of the GOP Senate to do what they should do? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Shortly after Dr. Ford's confidential letter made its way into the press, the floodgates of mud and muck opened entirely on Brett Kavanaugh and his family. Out of the woodwork came one uncorroborated allegation after another, each seemingly more outlandish than the last. The Senate will vote on Judge Kavanaugh here on this floor this week. Here on this floor this week. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. I certainly hope Mitch McConnell is right that the vote does happen, that Republicans manage to man up and do what needs to be done here. A grave injustice has been done to Brett Kavanaugh. We all know this. Now that they've gotten the FBI investigation that the left essentially was willing to hold Flake hostage in an elevator in order to achieve, Now we see that they've really got nothing. We see that this was all what we've been saying all along. Only it's more obvious than it was before. It's even more pathetic that the left has been clinging to this fiction. I couldn't believe it. I know yesterday I was off air and my my buddy Michael Pelka was filling in. I I was reading this story about how Kavanaugh might have thrown ice at somebody 30 years ago. Ice. Uh, what is that? How is that even something we need to talk about? Now I see the New York Times is planning a hit piece. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not kidding. Hit piece scheduled to go out tomorrow on some party planning that Kavanaugh did. You know, I'm sure he's going to talk about, you know, the Sigma Sigma whatever brothers and how they're excited to see some lovely ladies and they're going to roll in the kegs and because he was in college. Does anybody listening to this right now really want to adjudicate 30 or 40 years later, after the fact, everything they said in college, everything they did, every action, every every little mess up, every little slip up, or, or just be subjected to whatever stories people that kind of knew you in college, sort of knew you in college, want to tell about you when you have the most politicized process and the most politically nasty mudslinging moment in our national conversation all year. Would anyone want that? I, I, I certainly don't think so. But they're in a bit of a panic now. They wanted this FBI investigation and all the things that I had told you last week are true. The FBI cannot subpoena people, cannot subpoena records. All the FBI can do in a background investigation is what I know they can do from having had my own background investigation, 
which is walk around and ask people questions. They don't try to adjudicate the rumors, by the way. When the FBI does a background check on somebody, if your neighbor says that you were doing, you know, ritual sacrifices of animals in the backyard, I mean, they they might look into it and see if somebody else can corroborate it for about, you know, a day and then they'd move on. Because unless there's some other information to suggest that that was actually happening, they can't chase a rumor forever. We were told right away that the FBI investigation was going to be insufficient by those who were demanding the investigation. These are the same people, though, who tell us that Feinstein didn't leak the letter like we're a bunch of morons. Like we can't understand anything. What's really turning the tide here, though, is that Julie Swetnick who was the one made who made the third claim, which I completely predicted was going to come out the day before because it was so obvious in the timeline that that was what was necessary for the left to get maximum impact to try to stop to try to stop the vote. And and they, they succeeded. I mean, we responded to political terrorism by rewarding their hostage taking. In this case, we responded to it by giving them exactly what they were demanding. But Julie Swetnick is not only uh, not credible, she is a liar. She's lying. I, I can tell you, having watched the interview she was in, she's a liar because she changed her statement from what the official statement was. You don't get to go from, oh, I, I have a sworn declaration saying that Brett Kavanaugh spiked punch at a party and then say, well, he was standing next to the punch and might have spiked it. I don't know if any of you saw or how many of you saw the Julie Swetnick interview was aired on NBC. NBC, which also we may get to later, has various versions of an untrue story trying to say that Kavanaugh was causing problems about the Ramirez testimony. She was the second woman who didn't testify, just gave a sworn statement, but the Ramirez allegation. But hold that thought for a moment. Swetnick is the one who says that Kavanaugh was present for gang rapes and that there were gang rape parties in the D.C. area. Swetnick also, well, I'll break down all of the reasons why she's, I don't think she's mistaken. Dr. Ford may be mistaken. I think she's a very troubled woman. I think that she has a lot of issues, and I think that she may, which she makes clear by telling us that she's got issues. She just happens to blame her issues on Brett Kavanaugh, but I think she has issues completely apart from Kavanaugh. But she may very well believe what she said. And as I've told you here, eyewitness testimony leads to a lot of innocent people going to prison. Eyewitness testimony can be very problematic on its own. Um, But Swetnick is not confused. Swetnick is not somebody who just is to be pitied and, and might be making a mistake that's destroying someone's life. Here's just a, a part of the kind of things that she was saying in this interview. And then and then I'll tell you why I know that she's lying. And then we have to evaluate, well, if the third person that the media treated as serious and said, oh, gosh, this needs to be investigated, if she's a liar, do we get to look at the second person who also has a shady story and say, you know, maybe there's a pattern here. Maybe all these leftist females who are coming forward at a moment of peril for Roe v. Wade, maybe they're doing it for political reasons. or We're not supposed to have that conversation. Bull. I want to have that conversation because a man's life, his reputation, his honor, his dignity, hand in the balance, hang in the balance and a uh, Supreme Court seat hangs in the balance as well. 
Here's some of the Sweatnik interview that aired yesterday. Play two. What did you see? It was very innocent. Well, until what happened to me happened to me, I didn't put two and two together. But I would see boys standing outside of rooms, congregated together, sort of like a gauntlet. And I didn't know what was occurring. Uh, but I would see them laughing, a lot of laughing. Um, standing uh, in line outside a room? They would not line, but definitely huddled by doors. And I didn't understand what it could possibly be. And in your declaration. And destroying anyone to get their way. You're watching Outnumbered. Standing outside. Yes. Seeing them stand outside a door. Yes. With other boys. So you're suggesting that, in hindsight, yes. you think he was involved in this behavior? I would say yes. I, I, it's just too coincidental. Sorry, I think we had something pop in the middle of the audio. that We, we got we cross wires there for a second. But you, you heard Sweatnik talking. Let's now look at what she says. I don't have time to play the full eight-minute interview. It's not worth it because she's just a liar. I, I can tell you what she's lying about. She's saying that she thinks that there were gang rapes or she's making the allegation that there were gang rapes going on at these parties because there were boys huddled outside of rooms. Has she ever been to a party with teenagers who are drinking beer? They all huddled together. Has she ever been to a party where teenagers are, you know, having drinks, having fun, doing whatever they're doing? They clump in little groups all over the place. I remember this. I used to be cool. I used to go to parties. There's nothing about what she says that makes me think there's a gang rape. She claims that she was raped. and that, I'll, I'll put that whole that whole conversation aside. I would note she hasn't named anybody that she thinks raped her. Other than Kavanaugh, who she says she thinks raped her, how could you how could you sleep at night saying that somebody might have raped you when you don't know? How, how could you do that? She doesn't know. I assume that means that she either blacked out or she's claimed that she was drugged. But then why is she bringing in his name? What makes her think that he was involved if she doesn't know he was involved? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. Why is his name even coming up then? Because he happened to be at this party. By the way, I don't believe she ever even saw him at these parties. I think this whole thing is a complete and utter. I know this is a fabrication now. Does she pepper in some details here or there about you know, she, she's from the area? Did she go to a party at some point? I mean, she can claim that some of this stuff might be, but it's true in the vaguest sense, certainly not true in a criminal sense. She went from saying in this interview that Kavanaugh spiked the punch, which how would that work? He spikes the punch. Everyone's drinking from that. OK, so he wants to get the girls drunk, she's saying, right? So you can take advantage. Of, well, that means but, but that means everybody's getting really drunk. These are high school kids. It's not like the guys can be drinking this stuff. You know, he's adding a little adding a little booze to it to make it a little stiffer. Okay, they're drinking punch so they can do that. He can't roofie the big bowl of punch because that means he'd be roofing himself and all the other guys and girls and everybody. Right. It'd be like poisoning the only water source you have. Well, if you have to drink from that, too, that's a bad idea. So her story is idiotic. Doesn't make any sense. It's a fabrication, though. That's why. That's why when you get into the details, at least Dr. Ford was smart to say, I don't remember. I don't remember. All I know is that he did this. She doesn't really remember anything other than Brett Kavanaugh did this. That's all she remembers. This woman tried to do all this other stuff, but the story was too complicated and she can't keep it straight. She claims that they would show up wearing their high school uniform, their Catholic school uniform to these parties. No, no, they don't. I went to a... a Catholic school, a private school in Manhattan. We used to do parties and parents were gone and we'd drink beer and not really kegs, but, you know, we'd get into all kinds of booze. People weren't showing up wearing their uniforms. That's just weird. 
And she added that detail to make it seem authentic, but that's that's wrong. That doesn't ring true. Another detail that came up in the course of this, never mind the fact that, as, I, as I've already said, she's changed things from her sworn statement. She is telling details or telling us details that don't make sense. She's saying that Brett Kavanaugh, maybe kind of she's not sure, raped her, which is not something that a person who really believes they were raped by this person would ever say. She also graduated a few years ahead of Kavanaugh. She's in her 20s, and she's going to parties with 15 and 16-year-olds, high school parties? No. No, I'm not saying it never happens, but people in college don't go to the, the high school parties with sophomores in high school. That doesn't happen. I was in college not long ago. That would be considered strange. She's the adult. These are high school kids. I can tell you this. When I was in college, I know that every female that I was friends with at my college, if they were at a party with high school kids and they thought the girls were being roofied and raped, gang raped, they call the police right away. Right away. You got to remember, there's a power dynamic here, right? A a 22-year-old has a lot more maturity and would be in a much stronger position to take action or would feel in a much stronger position socially when they're a party of, you know, 15 and 16-year-olds. I coached high school soccer. I was 22 and my kids were 15 or 16 and they thought, you know, I was the adult and they were a bunch of kids. I wasn't going out doing keg stands with them. This just doesn't. The point is, it doesn't make sense. She's lying. And that interview she gave was obvious. It was a disaster. Anyone who still believes this, it's really turned into an intelligence test. Because you can't say, oh, no, emotionally, I'm really connected to her. No, she's a liar. So if you're not smart enough to figure that out, I don't know what to say. Two thoughts on this, and then we, we got a, we got so much more. The, the Senate Democrats, are they're scrambling to keep this whole thing alive because they know. They know now they've mortgaged all their credibility, all their decency. They've acted like total scum to try to stop Kavanaugh. They know this. And what if they don't manage to stop him? And they look like even bigger clowns in the process. Now they've exposed themselves, but still early. We've got a few days left. Who knows what they've got up their sleeves? When you have no dignity or honor to protect, you've got a lot of options. That's what the Democrats have, a lot of options. Something I want to note on this. They are looking like they're going to have to make a decision soon about whether they're going to bring charges, I think, against people for making sworn uh, sworn declarations that are false. And then there'll be this whole, oh, but she's a victim, she's a victim. No, no, she's a fabricator. This Swetnick woman is a fabricator. And until she provides evidence or witnesses, I am very comfortable saying that. She has neither. She has stories that don't make sense. She has political motive. She's a very checkered past. Lots of problems here. Should people who make these allegations to ruin lives and to play the dirtiest of politics be held accountable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only should we vote Kavanaugh through, we should be looking to prosecute those who have lied in this process. And oh, by the way, also Mr. Avenatti and his ability to, to practice law should also be looked at here. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Freedom Hut from Las Vegas today, my friends. Much more coming. Stay with me. Well, I say that it's a very scary time for young men in America when you can be uh, guilty of something that you may not be guilty of. This is a very, very, this is a very difficult time. 
What's happening here has much more to do than even the appointment of a Supreme Court justice. It really does. You could be somebody that was perfect your entire life, and somebody could accuse you of something. Doesn't necessarily have to be a woman, as everybody says, but somebody could accuse you of something, and you're automatically guilty. But in this realm, you are truly guilty until proven innocent. That's one of the very, very bad things that's taking place right now. Donald Trump absolutely gets it. He's right. He understands what's happening here. He understands the stakes. Anyone could be taken down this way. It's about so much more than just Kavanaugh or just a Supreme Court seat. Anybody could be subjected to this kind of treatment for whatever reason the left deems necessary. You either believe in due process or you don't. You either believe that there is a an agreed-upon system for managing and dealing with allegations or it's just a propaganda fight. I made the most disgusting and detestable win. I feel much more confident today than I have in a while about Kavanaugh's prospects, but I do not want to jinx it. I think we should make sure we don't overestimate the spinal rigidity of Jeff Flake, Collins, Murkowski. I don't think Manchin's going to come in on this, but I, I don't know. It's really Collins, Murkowski, and Flake. You lose two, you're done. And if I had to pick, it would be Flake and Murkowski. But it has not been a good 24 hours for the anti-Kavanaugh zealots. This extension, this extension of the FBI investigation has not been, I think, what they had planned. Certainly the implosion of the third allegation has made it harder for anyone who's being reasonable to believe that this wasn't all a setup in the first place, because it so very clearly was. And now we have even more evidence, even more reason to believe that that's the case. This is, as Trump was saying, a scary time for people who believe that you should have the presumption of innocence. Maybe, just maybe, the good guys will actually win this time. But don't hold your breath and don't count your chickens until they hatch. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. For anyone who believes there's such a thing as a judicial temperament and that we want judges, particularly those on our highest court, to approach issues, approach plaintiffs and defendants with um, a sense of fairness, that there's a lot to be concerned about. There is no more important vote than I will cast than on this nomination to the United States Supreme Court. And I believe that by virtue of lack of temperament and fitness for office, as was demonstrated so graphically in that last hearing when he threatened and came to us full of revenge and arrogance and acrimony, that this man should not be on the Supreme Court. So I would continue to urge my colleagues to vote against him. And we need to educate the American people about the reasons for those decisions so that 
in fact, they will be on the side of my colleagues. So my hope is that just beyond the vicious partisan rancor that is going on, beyond the accusations, we don't lose sight of what this moral moment is about in this country and ultimately ask ourselves the question, is this the right person to sit on the highest court in the land for a lifetime appointment when their credibility has been challenged by intimates, people that knew the candidate well as a classmate, when his temperament has been revealed in an emotional moment where he used language that, that frankly shocked a lot of us, and then ultimately, not whether he's innocent or guilty, this is not a trial, but ultimately, have enough questions be raised that we should not move on to another candidate. Temperament, they say, is the problem now. We've expected, friends, that the Democrats would move the goalposts shamelessly, repeatedly. But this is breathtaking. This really is. Here you have, just today, the last 24 hours or so, the talking point is now about his temperament. Oh, well, because he got upset about being called a serial gang rapist, sexual abuser, blackout drunk, liar, because he was unhappy with the ambush that the Democrats coordinated against him, the despicable, disgusting efforts of the left to try and destroy this man because he didn't like that, because he didn't take it lying down, because he flipped the script turn the table on them, and punch back. Now they're saying, oh, well, I don't know, his temperament. I don't think he has the temperament for it. Such gaslighting. Now there's such an obvious effort here to act like, oh, they weren't just calling him a gang rapist a few days ago. So, so I need the Democrats to explain this to me. Should Kavanaugh not be on the court because of the allegations of rape? Or should Kavanaugh not be on the court because he can be surly when accused of being a rapist? I'd be surly, too, and then some. These people are a joke. Cory Booker is a joke. Blumenthal is just this slimy. What did uh, Trump call him, Mike? Denang Blumenthal? That's amazing. That's amazing. He's the best with the nicknames. Denang Blumenthal. I think that's what he called him. It was either Denang Blumenthal or Natrang Blumenthal for, for, you know, his honorable service in Vietnam. Only problem is Blumenthal never served in Vietnam. And Hillary, you expect, and she, she's just utterly soulless and corrupt. Important, though, that she's still out there. We'll talk more about her later on in the show, but important that she's out there because it's a reminder of the same people that want to scold you and say, Trump's not presidential. Trump has shady business dealings. I don't like tr- like Trump's tweets. Hillary will do anything for power and money. I mean, Hillary has shown absolutely no morality in her, pub- in her public life. None. Say anything. Her husband was a serial rapist and sexual abuser, and she just knew that if she was going to ride his coattails into her own power, she had to back him up, destroy some women. So she did it. But, ah, yes, now he lacks the temperament. Ah, so when you fight back, that's the problem. It is the fighting back against the lies now that we're supposed to believe prevents him from being on the bench. You can't make this stuff up. 
I don't know how they sleep at night. I really don't. I would be so embarrassed, and rightfully so, if I were doing what every major Democrat in the country is doing right now. I would have so much more respect for at least the honesty of their position if they would say the following. This is what Cory Booker and Hillary Clinton and Blumenthal and Durbin and Coons and just go down the list, Feinstein, all of them. What they should say is, we have gotten used to decades of having a liberal majority on the Supreme Court. That liberal majority has given us things that are not really in the Constitution and are not really in the law, but we've decided to get from them, or rather they have decided to give us, and we don't want to give that up. We like that, legally speaking, at the federal level, it is completely legally permissible to terminate a pregnancy for all nine months of the pregnancy up to and including the moment of delivery and call it a woman's right to choose. We recognize, we the Democrats recognize that were the federal government no longer to recognize such an expansive right to kill unborn babies, it would cause problems not just for what is the single most closely held and believed platform of the Democrat Party and the modern American left, but it would mean that we would have to have a reckoning with the past. What have we been standing for this whole time? What have we been doing? And also, what will the Democratic Party be in the future? How does it handle the fact that it has had, it will be forced to deal with a moral reckoning for what is an evil on the same plane as slavery in our history? That level of depravity, that level of wrong. By the way, the Democrats were for that, too, if you recall. So that would at least be an honest position from them. I mean, it would wouldn't change the fact that they're wrong or that Kavanaugh is more than qualified. And, but it would be it, it would allow us to have an adult conversation. They want power. They want their way and they'll do anything to get their way and to have power. Don't pretend to be principled. Don't pretend that there's some argument now about temperament. Oh, gosh, you mean the guy who's been sitting on the D.C. Circuit Court has written over 300 opinions as a federal judge and has never had any problem or complaint or ethical issue ever in his entire career and who is beloved by people in the legal profession? Yes, you don't hear much about this, including a lot of liberals. Elena Kagan picked him to teach at Harvard to give you know, a a constitutionalist point of view, which they could certainly use more at Harvard Law School. Oh, yes, I saw it today, too. They because of student outcry, they have canceled. They have canceled the constitutional law class that Brett Kavanaugh teaches at Harvard. These schools are no longer impressive places. They are little laboratories for idiot left wing groupthink. They place diversity over excellence And they make all kinds of decisions that have nothing to do with people being leaders or being better educated. It's just politics for them as well. How can you have Harvard Law School students? Remember, these are college grads. These are people in their mid, late 20s mostly. They don't understand what the presumption of innocence is. If people that are going to Harvard Law School don't understand the presumption of innocence, what what are we to make of the future of the country? Oh, Buck, it's not a legal proceeding. Well, you're accusing them of a crime. And that crime, as we found out from the report written by Mitchell, 
who was in charge of cross-examining Kavanaugh for, I'm sorry, cross-examining Ford and Kavanaugh uh, for the Republicans during that hearing. Her report is just a piece-by-piece takedown of how Ford, I, I know that I've gone after Swetnick's lies today. We, we don't have to call it accusations or tests, lies. She's a liar. Uh, and you look more into her past and you see this is somebody with with deep problems. I mean, what you really have here is the weaponization of a few distraught women leveraging the Me Too movement to try to take down a great man, a decent man, a guy who loves his family and his country and the law. And they use very disturbed, damaged women to try to bring this guy down. That's what this has been. I mean, the case of Swetnick, somebody who heaven only knows we're going to find out now that we're looking into it. They tried so hard to that. They tried to prevent us from being told what was really going on here. Oh, how dare you? You can't look. You can't look into their background. You can't ask any questions about them. It's not how it works. That's not how it works. I know the New York Times is so busy writing stories about how Kavanaugh may, may have thrown ice at somebody 30 years ago. But. Now here we are with more information, just like the Russia collusion nonsense, folks, with more information. We see that our side is more is even more obviously correct. It is more clear that we are on the side of the righteous here. You and I have been all along and it wasn't always easy. Would have been a lot easier for me. Oh, I could have gotten a lot of TV appearances, get a lot of nice things said to me about celebrities. If I was running around on Twitter and elsewhere saying, You know, she has a right to be believed. And, you know, Kavanaugh, I don't trust him. And her story was compelling. Nope. I don't think so. Buck, don't play that. It's not a game to me. This is about honesty and integrity and decency and the rule of law. You don't get to just dispense with that because it's convenient. Although Democrats think you can. That Mitchell report, which is now being treated as some kind of a partisan document, she said this wouldn't she wouldn't even charge. She couldn't even charge Kavanaugh. And here's what I think is so important. Not only does does Ford have all of these enormous holes in her story. I mean, it doesn't. We've gone over that. I mean, her story is just basically, yeah, I remember this guy did something bad to me 30 years ago. It really upset me. You know, who, what, where, when, how? None of that I can remember. But that it was him. I know it was him. Don't let him be on the Supreme Court. Now I get to be a hero. She's being treated as a hero on the left. Mitchell just says that it, her testimony is. Not enough for anything. Wouldn't be enough to bring charges. Wouldn't be enough to get an arrest. It's just not enough. And what I'll tell you is that her story, if she had gone to the police the next day, wouldn't have been enough for an arrest. Where did this happen? I don't know. Well, well who, who did? I don't know. You know, just, just a lot of I don't knows. One thing I wanted to note before we... No, no, actually, I've, I've got a. Take a moment to take a little little breathe little breather here. Um, coming to you from Vegas, folks. Interesting out here, I gotta say. Um, I'm not uh, not a gambler, so I don't really know. I don't really get that part of it. But maybe I'll go see a show. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. If you want to chat, eight four four nine hundred buck. We we got more on Kavanaugh. Look, it's the biggest story in the country right now. It's one that really matters to me. And we're getting close. But I don't trust the left. I don't trust the Democrats. And I don't even trust trust uh, Jeff Flake. That guy is the ultimate wimp namby-pamby. 
We've got more. Stay with me. The Democrats only know how to obstruct, demolish, and destroy. As we've seen in recent weeks, Democrats are willing to do anything and to hurt anyone to get their way, like they're doing with Judge Kavanaugh. They've been trying to destroy him since the very first second he was announced because they know that Judge Kavanaugh will follow the Constitution as written. That's been his history. Yes, he will. Trump is so right. He's been so good on this issue, folks. Stood tall, stood strong. We're not out of the woods yet, but it's a good day today for for Kavanaugh, a good day for justice. Josh in Texas, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Hello, Buck. How are you? I'm good. I gotta, I, I gotta make a comment about something that you said. That that uh, Svetnik had uh, said something to the effect that uh, they were wearing their school uniforms. Uh, unless they were in their football uniforms, the, the school at the time I went to Georgetown Prep did not have a uniform. They had a requirement, a dress code that you wear coat and tie, but you could wear a tweed, you could wear a blazer, so on and so forth. And I'm going to tell you another little secret. Your assertion that, that people didn't wear uh, their uniforms after uh, school was out, absolutely not. First thing came off was the necktie, then the coat, and then, you know, you tossed it in the – if you were a day uh, student, you tossed it in the car. And uh, if you were a dorm student, you tossed it somewhere in the corner of the room and, and, and got to either hitting the books or – uh, playing some frisbee or whatever to yeah, try and clear yeah. your head. No, nobody's, this isn't an episode of Gossip Girl, Josh. Nobody's showing up to do keg stands in their tweed jacket and their rep tie. That's not how it works. No, no. And and the other thing I might point out is, is if this was supposed to be taking place at Georgetown Prep Dormitory, that's nuts because not only did they have uh, Jesuit priests living on the same floors as the students, but they also had uh, they also had prefects who were usually uh, uh, graduate students at, at uh, Georgetown University, either dental students or law students, uh, that were, had a job there and free room and board uh, to basically keep order. And during study halls, everybody's door had to be open. You know, the whole nine yards. There was no way you were. I couldn't even have gotten my mother up on that floor during the normal school year. There were only two days a year that females were allowed on the floor, and that was when you were moving in and when you were moving out, period. Yeah, this the whole thing. Look, she doesn't – she's she's a crazy person. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, she's got real problems, and her story doesn't add up. And, you look, you went to Georgetown Preps, so you know. Just just the way that she's describing these parties is not true. It's not the way this happens. But, my friend, thank you for calling in. Always good to talk to you. Um, uh, you know, we got more. Uh, Vivian, Vivian from uh, – where's she calling in? Georgia. Vivian in Georgia, how you doing? Well, uh, I just want to take you off in a little bit different direction. I'm a, a very poor chess player, but uh, the way my mind works, about uh, stepping back and trying to assess what's going on, almost everybody is a pawn in this game. And I, I'm a 1984 Big Brother fan because it, he wasn't a, a person. He was a movement. He was, well... Anyhow, I think that they're, we're playing a dangerous game, and even the Democrats may be falling into the hands of these master manipulators. 
You talk about the deep state. I think this is deeper than the deep state. You've got people like George Soros, et cetera, et cetera, who are funding. All right, Vivian, we got to leave it there, but I appreciate you calling in. Team, we got more coming. Background checks can be a sensitive business. You want to make sure you get the right information, you get it in a timely fashion, and that you can trust the people who are doing them. Because when you're hiring or you're looking for someone that's going to be a tenant for a property you're renting out, you need somebody that you can trust and who gets the job done. That's Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They have headquarters in Chicago, offices throughout the country, and they work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Unlike a lot of their competitors in the background investigation space, no data or client information is ever offshored. These guys should be your vetting company of choice. They are absolutely the best when it comes to making sure your data is secure and that whenever you have a question, you get an answer on the phone. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com or call 877 695 one one seven nine. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Will the vote on Friday on the floor be too soon? Well, I believe it is. Uh, I believe it's too soon. Uh, it's Tuesday, and um, we have to put all the facts together. Yeah. And this is, this is, I guess it's my 10th Supreme Court hearing that I sat on, and there's never been one like this, with the issues like this. And I don't take it lightly. Too soon to vote, Diane Feinstein says. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, of course. It'll be too soon to vote this week. It'll be too soon to vote next week. It'll be too soon to vote until after November 6th, I'm pretty sure. Unless, and this is where we have to now get into the political gamesmanship too, unless the Democrats have another trick up their sleeve. You see, in the first hour of the show today, we talked about the narrative, the stories, the accusations. They're falling apart. They aren't going to be able to do anything with this FBI investigation other than further disprove what a bunch of nonsense, what a bunch of garbage has been thrown at Kavanaugh. So they're going to be helping his side, in a sense. That's the likeliest outcome of this, or just really reaffirming what we've already known to be the case. But then there's this other component of it. Yes, the narrative is falling apart. The storyline that Kavanaugh is a serial rapist, a murderer, all this stuff. that He's not a murderer, but a serial rapist, a gang rapist. I don't think they've accused him of murder yet, not that I'm aware of. But, you know, who knows? It would be a murder that they would have to accuse him of. They wouldn't know where the body was or who the person was, but, you know, they, they think something happened. The left thinks something happened. They're just completely insane. I mean, they're at space aliens landed and, you know, stole my homework last night. That's why I don't have it. They're, they're at that level of just laughable garbage at this point. But that doesn't mean that this won't continue to be an issue. You have a couple of things here. One, I'm seeing already some early indications that Jeff Flake 
isn't planning to vote for Kavanaugh no matter what. Now, I, I can't confirm any of it yet. and I don't know. And, you know, if if need be, maybe somebody just needs to yell at Kavanaugh when he's getting into an elevator to change his mind on an incredibly important vote that he would cast as a senator about this issue. Maybe we need to get a few conservatives to say, hey, rule of law is still important, you, you dope. Why don't you vote to support it? Why don't you vote to support a good man who's been slandered? He's been slimed, destroyed by maniacs, people with a, with a mass delusion. That's what has overtaken the Democratic Party and the left. But then there's the flake narrative. Um, the flake narrative, and, and he is somebody that I think uh, very clearly takes a position here that, or could take a position here, I don't know yet, that we could do better than Kavanaugh. This has become too partisan. He wants to be, Flake wants to be post-partisan, and therefore, no matter what comes out of the investigation this week, no matter what additional facts to support Kavanaugh's position, which is what we're seeing, oh, everything is going in Kavanaugh's favor since Friday, in terms of new information, all of it. But Flake may be a no anyway. And his his line would be, oh, well, you know, I, I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to add to the partisanship right now. I didn't want to make this worse. It's so acrimonious. It's so nasty. People are so upset about it. We we, we should do better. We should come together as a country in the spirit of bipartisanship. Jeff Flake may vote against Kavanaugh. That's what I think could happen here. That's what he would say. It would, of course, be a cave. It would be a concession. It would be Kavanaugh taking a, or rather Flake taking a position on Kavanaugh that's all about self-interest, and we'll talk more about this. So I do worry that after all said and done, and any reasonable person would look at this extension and the additional facts that have come out and the new, I know they're talking to Mark Judge now, the FBI is going to go interview Mark Judge. Mark Judge is going to tell him exactly what he's already written down in his sworn statement. I don't know this woman. I don't know what she's talking about. This didn't happen. Kavanaugh never did this. She's lying, basically. That's what she's going to say about Ford. Remember, you have Ford, Ramirez, and Swetnick. Ramirez is the one who says that maybe, maybe he, Kavanaugh, exposed himself to her in college. She can't be sure, but she called a lot of people to ask them what they think. That's not, that's not something that inspires confidence in her telling of, of events is it not can't be sure exactly but you know it might have been him so let's try to pile on and help ruin his life that's ramirez and then they find some roommate who doesn't like him look you could find people in college who didn't like me too they were losers they were jerks but there were some of them you know they'd probably say oh yeah buck was you know he was bad they'd say whatever to trash me if i were running for office i mean any one of you went to college they could find somebody especially in a really politically contentious time if you were a conservative Everybody loves to bash on conservatives. Oh, gosh, makes you the hero of a lot of cocktail parties. Really does. But I think that you might see Flake vote no, regardless of how this shakes out. And so then it comes down to Collins and Murkowski. Collins and Murkowski, Murkowski, no votes. I think Collins realizes that she's done in the Senate if she votes no. She's done. That's my impression. That's my analysis. I could be wrong. Murkowski, though, strikes me as more transactional. Murkowski is a little more whatever's good for her. 
Forget about the Republican Party. Forget about whatever principles she's espoused in the past. So that's that's part of my concern. And, and then you also have this this continuing narrative, and this ties into what I think is they're trying to build an escape hatch for Flake. You see, they can't get Kavanaugh on the rape. They can't convince any normal, reasonable person that Kavanaugh was involved in gang rapes or that or that there's any evidence for any of this because there is no evidence. But you've got to remember, then there's the Maisie Hirono, Senator Hirono from Hawaii. There's the approach that she has, which is just whatever we can do to criticize this guy, to take him down a peg, to make him look small. That's what we should do. Whatever we can investigate about him, we should investigate. Here, here's Maisie Hirono on the ice-throwing allegations. Play 20. If I can, I want to ask you about these new developments that we found out overnight. These Please, police no documents that police show documents. that Brett Kavanaugh threw ice in someone's face during a bar fight when he was in college. Do you feel that that is in any way disqualifying for someone to sit in the Supreme Court? This is why we need an FBI investigation, because... There are a lot of allegations, and the reports really are about how he behaves when he is drunk. So that is very relevant, and the portrayal of himself as practically a choir boy uh, is very much contradicted by his, his roommate, for example, in college, as well as people who knew him in high school. Why we need an FBI investigation, why we've been calling for one for what seems like months. Months? What? I, I do think that there's a strong case to be made that Senator Hirono is the dumbest woman or, or man in the Senate. I think she's the dumbest human being in the Senate. That's a very that seems to me to be a strong case right now. The evidence for that is clear. We need an FBI investigation of Kavanaugh because he might have thrown ice into someone's face during a bar fight 30 years ago. 35 years ago. Who can say that and not feel like a moron? Really, don't don't allow yourself to assume even for a second. Well, she's on TV. She's a senator. She can't be that. She can't be that silly. Right. Maybe maybe I'm being harsh on her. Nope, you're not being harsh on her. Total imbecile. Total and complete imbecile. But the story about temperament and the lines about the, the reason that that talking point is something that I am analyzing for you here on the show is because that's not going to convince anybody. You, you got people that hate Kavanaugh. Uh, because, you know, he's a white male, white male privilege and, you know, he's a frat bro and he's a, and he's a conservative and overturn role, all that stuff. And you get people that say, no, I'm actually a constitutionalist and also I believe in the rule of law. Yay, that's our team. No one's going to change their mind about this guy based upon the alleged ice throwing into incident of 1984 or whenever it was. No, one. that's not serious. New York Times doing a piece right now on how he was part of a like party planning or something back in the day. Right? New York Times is doing that piece. Well, oh, oh gosh. You know, he was a college kid. I mean, they're they're adjudicating his beer drinking and his social life and social habits from college when he's a 50-something-year-old man. This is what the New York Times has been reduced to, a joke, a disgrace. Times also had Emily Bazelon reporting on Kavanaugh as a, quote, reporter when in July, before any of this happened, she came out and said she opposes him because of the threat that he poses to civil rights. And, and women's rights, I'm sure, too. Of course. That's, that's, that's a given. You can assume that. 
But by creating this storyline of temperament and, oh, he's a he's a belligerent drunk, he was mean, he's a bad guy, that's not for any normal person to change their mind one way or the other. That's all about getting an escape hatch for Flake and maybe Murkowski. Oh, we don't want to. Let's put forward. We agree. By the way, Flake's word is good for nothing. I mean, he could come out today and say, I guarantee you I would vote for Kavanaugh if this is done and we don't have any more derogatory information. And I still wouldn't believe him. Until the votes happen, we don't know. Guy's a coward. An absolute wet noodle spined coward. But if they can open this storyline, you see how it goes. Oh, we need somebody who's a more bipartisan pick. This whole process has been tainted. The country is too divided right now. So in response to the left waging an unprecedented partisan assault on Kavanaugh and all the supporters and and all those around him and the entire system and all the women dressed in Handmaid's Tales costumes and putting anatomically correct female body parts on their heads as hats and all the stuff that they're doing, all that. Flake takes the position of, oh, well, we should cave now and give them what they want in the spirit of bipartisanship. That's what I think is going to end up happening. I think Flake's going to be a no vote at the end of this whole thing, knowing that, yes, he'll receive a lot of viciousness from, well, I shouldn't say viciousness, a lot of anger. It's not vicious. It's completely warranted. It's legitimate justice, really, from people. But he's playing the long game of, I want to get a book de- uh, a book deal from you know, Simon and Schuster or, or whomever you know a big 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 publishing house. That's that's what Flake's game is here. Uh, so that's why I'm I'm concerned. I, I don't know how the votes will go. I'm not. I have zero confidence in the ability of Republicans in this case to do what's right. One thing that just that just got released, and I I wasn't sure. I, I'm not going to read to you from it because it is salacious. That you could definitely say it is it is a salacious document, it's sort of like the salacious dossier, but it did. I, I have noticed it. All right. I, ha- I have noticed this. I, I am aware of it. And. It's the Senate Judiciary Committee. They released a statement from somebody that I think had a romantic link to Swetnick. And man, oh, man, are there things in there. Essentially telling you that Swetnick is a very disturbed and sexually, I don't even know what the word would be. You'd have to read the document. I can't read it on air. Family show. There's some really intense stuff in there, though. Bottom line is the woman is crazy. That's that's the bottom line. Uh, and that her allegations should not be taken uh, seriously. And, and, you know, they 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 posted up some activists in Reagan Airport. I see this and, and they're trying to harass other Republican senators in there now. And I heard this line, you know, how many women have to be assaulted before you believe women? This is a this is a fundamental problem with the whole left wing approach here, a a collective version of justice or a collectivist approach to justice. That's at the heart of all this. I, I want to address that when we come back and then I'll talk about the midterms and where I think this is going in terms of red wave, blue wave, all that stuff. Third hour, we'll get into the economy and the latest on on jobs, trade, U.S.-Mexico-Canada deal. Lots and lots of stuff coming, team. I'll be right back. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes. Brace yourself. 
Because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Everything is stored online these days, including the title to your home. That means that domestic and international cyber thieves are hunting American homeowners because we've got a lot of equity in our homes, and the bad guys use that to borrow money. They take you off your home's title and replace you with an alias. Then they borrow every penny they can using your home's equity and stick you with the payments. You won't know until you get a late payment notice. Identity theft programs and insurance policies don't protect you. Only Home Title Lock safeguards your home's title from cyber thieves and hackers. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $100 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to uh, this this point about about collective guilt, because this this really stuck out to me. You had these activists that were waiting for a uh, waiting for senators to come into Reagan, Reagan National Airport, which is the kind of the local airport in D.C., domestic airport. And they yell, how many women and we don't have the audio, but it's fine. They're yelling at them. How many women have to be assaulted before you'll believe women? And if, if you were to take this premise at face value, it means that any time a woman says that somebody did something to her, it must be believed and there must be consequences for the person that she accuses. But women do lie about this. And and I and I know, ooh, Buck, you're not allowed to say that. No, no. I'm not saying that all women lie. I'm not saying most women lie. I'm just saying it is a fact that there are women who lie about this. Just like there are men who lie about all kinds of things. Right? People, pe- people lie about things. Lots and lots of different reasons. But this is a false premise that because there's a lot of bad things out there, because there are far too many women who have been sexually assaulted in this country, that whenever a woman says she's been sexually assaulted, there's no due process. There's nothing. There's just consequence for the man. Ruination, destruction. Well, I would just note that there was a story. It's not going to get a lot of play. But here I am in Las Vegas. And Fox News published a story earlier today that there are four California dentists, three of whom are brothers who were accused of sexually of kidnapping and sexually assaulting a woman at a Las Vegas resort. All right. So these men, by the way, they're they're all, you know, in their 30s. They're about my age. Three of them are brothers. I've got two brothers. They were accused of, of a terrible crime, kidnapping and sexual assault. Their lives are about to be destroyed. And you know what saved them? The fact that they have cell phone video that is completely and utterly exculpatory. Quote, after review of the facts of the case, it was clear the allegations were completely fabricated. The evidence, this is according to uh, the attorney representing some of the accused. The evidence confirmed the men's innocence. The state has cleared them of all charges. We are so grateful to the justice system for recognizing we were the victims in this case. We knew when the facts came out, the vicious allegations would be exposed as lies. State state said there should be no charges against them. These men did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. They've got video evidence to prove they're innocent. I talked to you on this show earlier this year about a woman who claimed that she was kidnapped and raped by a police officer in Texas. Fortunately, there were there was body cam footage and station footage of every single moment they were together. He did nothing. She lied. She claimed that he raped her or that he you know, violated her physically. Women do lie about this. And we need to be able to speak 
honestly about it and say that there's no such thing as a collective approach to this issue. There is only process and facts and right and wrong. Did someone do something that they must be punished for, that they deserve to be ruined for? To, they deserve to be have their life destroyed for? It's on an individual basis. That is the foundation of our justice system. You either look at whether an individual is guilty or innocent, or you're looking for politicized injustice. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. There are so many races that are within the margin of error. Missouri, Nevada, Tennessee, Florida. The list goes on and on and on. We have all of these close races, which means we have a best estimate about what might happen in the Senate come November. But it really could be a Democratic wave or it could be a Republican wave if the polls are off in one direction. Republican wave in the Senate, in the House? In the Senate, not in the House. Republican wave. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Republican wave. Is it possible, folks, that just as we saw in 2016, the GOP in the era of Trump could greatly defy the experts and the expectations in this upcoming election? I don't want to get your hopes up. And I I, kind of want everybody listening to this to be fired up and be mad because mad people people who are or annoyed about what's gone on they're likelier to show up and vote people that are happy get a little complacent you know with the status quo they figure out oh, things are good things will stay good well what you've seen in the Kavanaugh debacle is that Democrats cannot be trusted with power you can't have these people in charge you can't do it have to stop them from being able to set the government agenda it will be a bad thing for all of us So I don't want anyone to lose sight of that. But the truth is nobody really knows what's going to happen right now with the election. The truth is that it could go either way. And we're over a month out from election. Right. Are we? It's my date. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. A month and a couple of days. Over a month out from election day. It's in it. This is where everyone starts saying the same things. It's an eternity in politics, Bob. Well, Jill, it all comes down to turnout you know blah 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 all the same stuff a lot of political pundits be telling you the same things people keep asking me i I don't i mean i don't know i certainly hope the republicans win but and you know i the republicans do win it's not like i think the world's going to be a perfect place we don't have any problems anymore because politics is interesting it's about human interaction and a way of resolving conflict between people and a way of joining together to do some things that makes sense for all of us right but at the end of the day it doesn't determine who you are what your value is you know this is the problem with the democrats and the left they get so personally wrapped up in their party and all that stuff i mean i i'm wrapped up in principle so there are ideas that really matter to me uh you know justice and truth and th- these things that it sounds like i'm giving a speech to be high school president or something but that you know those things matter to me I think the GOP is doing a good job of the country. They should stay in power because they have been doing a good job. It's not perfect. It's not not beyond reproach. But, you know, there's some very, very positive things that are happening. So that that's one point I wanted to make here. And in terms of what we've seen with Kavanaugh, I, I can't say what the reaction is going to be, because until you see the reaction, then then you 
until you see the reaction, you're not in a position to really assess whether it's going to have an impact. If Kavanaugh doesn't get through, Republicans better send a message for the good of the country. Better send a message that this will not stand. This aggression, dude, will not stand. That's what has to be said. And that means preventing Democrats from taking the House. If Democrats take the House, it's going to turn into one long, endless investigation and impeachment fight. That's the only thing that's going to be out there. That's the only thing that the Democrats are really going to focus on. There's no no policy agenda they're going to be able to agree on. We'll talk later about who they think they're going to run for the presidency. But we're a month out from Election Day, and I have to say this week, which is hopefully going to come to a close with Kavanaugh's confirmation. But if it doesn't, uh, that could be the difference maker in the midterms. I don't believe this other side of it. I think that this is wishful thinking from the Democrats, that women will turn out in huge numbers if Kavanaugh gets on the Supreme Court. I think the only women who really believe that Kavanaugh's a bad guy and uh, Kavanaugh's a, you know, a predator and that, and that you know, women should be believed, and all, all that stuff, all that claptrap rhetoric that you hear, uh, the women who really take that to heart and are mobilized to vote as a result of it hated Kavanaugh anyway. This is like all these senators are saying, oh, you know, it's, we need to have the FBI investigation and then I'll decide. Well, you decided before any of this even you decided before the hearings happened, you know, Coons and Feinstein, they were never going to vote for this guy. This is all this is all a charade. It's all been a charade from Democrats. It's, it, forget about the due process for the allegations of sexual impropriety. They made a a complete mess of the normal-ish Senate hearings, right? They, they made it ridiculous just to sit down in the Senate and ask this guy some questions. He had all these crazy protesters and all, all sorts of mayhem. So I, I would like us to be able to move past this as a country as quickly as possible, but only, only with Kavanaugh's confirmation. And move past it doesn't mean forget. It just means we don't have to keep relitigating this every day. Because we should not forget this. This was the left laid bare. This was the, the progressives showing us the dark underbelly of what they're really all about. Which is just pure naked power grab. Nothing else, nothing else really factors into the equation. They have ideas for what the state should be doing. And they want to be the ones that are implementing those ideas. How they get there, what they have to do does not matter. And that's what's led us to this very dark time uh, this last week or so. It's been hard. I'll be honest with you. It's been to to work in politics, to work in media and trying to just sift through all the lies and all the garbage. It's been exhausting. It has been exhausting. Uh, I, I did want to just note this other story today. Speaking of the political climate and all of the things that are coming together right now in a way where it feels like this is worse. This is not the normal this is not normal crazy. This is we're on the precipice of something really going wrong here. I saw this story. I'm out here in Vegas. I'm doing this conference I'm doing this conference, but I'm able to read in in between the speeches. Two letters sent to the Pentagon uh, have tested positive for the poison ricin and a suspicious envelope had been sent to the White House defense, uh, defense officials and the Secret Service said earlier today. The letters sent to the Pentagon were addressed to the Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and Admiral John Richardson, the Chief of Naval Operations. It's unclear whether Mr. Mattis, who was traveling this week, and Richardson were notified about the letters. Secret Service confirmed Tuesday that it had intercepted an envelope on October 1st. Addressed to President Trump didn't comment on whether it contains rice. Rice comes from uh, the castor bean, if I recall. 
It's not a particularly difficult poison to make. I think actually uh, Heisen, the Heisenberg character in the show Breaking Bad makes ricin at one point. It's highly, highly toxic, very lethal in, in small doses. And this is going to bring people back to when there was that period right after 9-11 with the anthrax envelopes being sent around. Now, is this is this in any way related to the heat of the conversations around Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court seat? Keep in mind, it's Democrats, including very prominent ones, who are saying that millions of women's lives are going to, well, going to be lost. Millions of women will die, in fact, if Kavanaugh is nominated. That's what they, or is confirmed. That's what they say. Uh, they can't be more extreme in their rhetoric. And I would note that it was not long ago. Now, how many, how many of you can remember off the top of your head? Who was the guy who, tr- who almost killed Congressman Steve Scalise? Shot him in the pelvis, shattered his pelvis, horrifically painful uh, rehabilitation after his life had to be saved. He was in critical condition. Who was the guy who took shots at Rand Paul and other members of Congress? You remember his name? James Hodgkinson. People don't tend to remember that name, do they? I'm not going to lie to you. I had to look it up, actually, before I did the, before I did the show and did some research. Said, what was his name again? That's right. So many other names I know. Dylan Roof I know. You know, I can, na- I can name all these mass shooters off my head. But the one who tried to commit a mass assassination of members of Congress, specifically targeting conservative members of Congress, going after the Freedom Caucus, his name is much less important in the media coverage. His name doesn't get brought up by the 10-person CNN panels looking at the nastiness of our politics right now. It's hard to think, given everything else that's happening, that envelopes containing ricin getting sent to the Pentagon and to the president. First of all, it, it's it's horrific on so many levels. I mean, it's terrorism. It's also just does this person really think the president just opens the envelope? I mean, I, I don't, all that they're going to do if there if, if someone's going to end up being harmed by this and thank heavens so far, no one has been harmed, but it would be you know like an intern somewhere. You got to assume it's probably uh, this is politically motivated. It's why they're going to have the Pentagon and the president. You got to assume that this has a this is some form of, of terrorism or that's the intent. It's very ineffective, but it's also a reminder of how uh, how far things have have gone from normal conversation, how far away we are from being able to have a real exchange of ideas in the minds of some people. They They think that this country is going to hell in a handbasket, and they need to save it from the people who are actually doing things that make the country better. I think they need to, you know, they need to stop Trump. You know, I, I remember during the the era of Black Lives Matter, when that was a big news story, everyone was talking about Black Lives Matter all the time. And I used to say, hold on a second, you know, if you're going to say that cops are racist and cops are murderers, not everybody's going to take that 100% literally, but some people will. And those people will then be mobilized to act based on the premise that police are murderers. And then we had a number of incidents of police being killed because people believe the rhetoric of the Black Lives Matter movement. We have a country right now with a media apparatus claiming that President Trump and the White House are fascists of some kind, that the lives of millions of women are at stake. 
And there is nothing too extreme, really, for the left to say about Trump and about about Kavanaugh. You know, we're being told that maybe a gang rapist is about to be sitting a sitting Supreme Court justice. They say it because they're dishonest and because they're playing the dirtiest possible politics. But some individuals must hear that and decide that they're going to take action, that they will, in their own sick, twisted mind, strike some kind of blow for justice. Is that why these Ryson letters were sent? I can't say just yet, but if you were to if you were to ask me to guess or to give you my best guess, my best analysis so far, I'd say, yeah, it's probably somebody who's been watching a little too much MSNBC, a little too much of the left wing craziness, and they acted on it in the worst possible way. Talk about the economy coming up, uh, coming up in a little bit, team. Stay right there. I got much more show. Especially if uh, what the person is doing is the more difficult thing to do. Usually, whenever anybody asks me what's going to happen in Washington, I'll say my general prediction about politicians is what's the easiest thing for them to do because that's what they're going to do. Uh, this was not the easiest thing for Jeff Flake to do. The easiest thing for him to do would be just to vote for uh, Kavanaugh to get him out of committee, and that's the end of that. But he held his vote ransom, as it were, basically saying, you can have my vote, but we need a week to do this FBI investigation. And that took, whether or not you agree with it, that was a gutsy thing to do because it made every Republican in the Senate mad at him. Tapper is the most overrated thinker in the news business, I would wager. He's entirely wrong here with his analysis on the Stephen Colbert show. That's absolutely wrong. It is the opposite. What Jeff Flake did, the flake out, as it were, is the opposite of courage. Because Flake had already said earlier that day that he was going to vote for Kavanaugh. The reason he did not was that he could not take the heat. That's not courage. That is actually the opposite of courage. That is called cowardice. But notice how this is framed. They're trying to, and this is very, oh, Tapper, very establishment news media. They want all the little senators that are still in the mix. They want everybody who's perhaps persuadable on this one. When you get to the final vote process, they want everyone to know that, you know, the ones who the ones who stop this process are the brave ones. Let me tell you what Jeff Flake's calculation was. Jeff Flake really, really wants to be liked by CNN, by the New York Times. It's seductive. These are powerful cultural institutions. And especially if you're no longer going to be a politician, you want in your day to day life to be thought of well by people who have large megaphones, who have cultural influence and also, by the way, can pay you a whole lot of money to do a whole lot of different things. That's what you want. That's what the self-interested person is going to be concerned with, first and foremost. Flake didn't show courage. It's not the harder thing to do. He knows this is a scam. He's not a complete moron. And he knows that if he were to have gone along and done the right thing, he would be in tremendous hot water right now with the left, with the media. So what did he do? Try to create an alibi for himself. I'm still not convinced that he will vote for Kavanaugh, but I would note that even if he does vote for Kavanaugh, Flake thinks that he's going to be the Republican in this process who, when he wants to give fancy speeches in Aspen or East Hampton or wherever, when he wants to be among the elite again and treated like somebody that they can stand from the right, you know, that they can kind of accept him, 
He will say, oh, well, I was the one that got the one-week extension. I was the one that made sure that there was this FBI investigation, which, as we now see, is a sham. It was always going to be a sham, and Flake knew it was a sham. So what did Flake do? Why did he do it? Self-interest, which is the opposite of courage. Cowardice, because he felt like he had been cornered by those women, including a Soros-funded activist. You can't even make this stuff up yelled at him, and so he decided to make a different call that day than what he had already said in the morning. Same day, Flake is a self-interested coward in this whole process, and that won't change even if he votes for Kavanaugh in the end, because what he's done is just created additional risk for a man, in this case, Judge Kavanaugh, who has been ambushed, who has been smeared, who has been slimed. If you're a person of honor or integrity, you don't allow that to continue when it's in your power to stop it. That's what Jake Tapper doesn't understand, apparently. That's what Jake Tapper doesn't know. Yeah, it was the hard thing for him to do. It was the hard thing for him to do for the few days when he'll get criticism from the right. It's the much easier thing for him to do for the rest of his life when he's going to want to be at the country club or he's going to want to be able to go and get a contributorship at MSNBC or CNN or ABC. And he'll say, I'm the Republican who broke ranks in order to try and defend uh, what the, the process here of getting an FBI investigation, which is total and complete garbage. I just want to note, Tapper's got it entirely wrong. That's not surprising. You know, Tapper, oh, he's on, he's on the Colbert show. Oh, he's so hip and cool. The whole thing over at CNN is a fraud, and Tapper's the face of that fraud in that he is the objective journalist over there. Give me a break. He's also smug and a jerk, for those of you who want to know, but nonetheless... Let's have him talk some more about how much he cares about the troops, because that's not a big brand enhancement exercise for him. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take my privacy back by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection takes only one click. ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month to totally protect yourself. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Canada and Mexico has gotten tremendous reviews, as you see. It's been very well received by farmers and ranchers and industrialists and workers generally, and it's been uh, really something. But it's gotten tremendous reviews, and even many of the Democrats, including Chuck Schumer, came out and said nice things. It's nice to see a little bit of a bipartisan approach, but the uh, big trade deal, the largest deal ever made so far in trade, I expect to top it 
with China or EU or something. As you know now, we're working on China, we're working on Japan, we're working on EU, but these are great deals for our nation and great deals for our workers. I think the Democrats are gonna like the trade bill. They already do. A lot of them have come out and said very positive things about it. We seem to have great support for the trade bill. Uh, it covers just about everybody. NAFTA has been renegotiated, folks. You've got this now U.S.-Canada-Mexico trade deal. Not the coolest, snappiest name in the world, but that doesn't really matter. What does matter is that the president managed to get a deal. Now, before I get into the particulars of this, I want to take a moment with all of you to step back and recall that we've been told all along the president wasn't going to get a deal. We've been told that he's not nearly as adept at negotiation as he has been saying that he doesn't have the 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 skills that he pretends to when it comes to making it happen in the boardroom they said that it was disastrous right his tariffs would be disastrous i don't see any disasters yet his trade deals wouldn't get done and, and and are upsetting our allies you know what kind of allies do we really have especially when we're really just talking about economic issues when we have to be so concerned when we approach them and say, hey, can you can you stop with the tariffs against us? Because we're going to put tariffs against you unless you do. That's being mean to our allies. Whatever happened to do unto others? Trump's approach on trade, while in a sense revolutionary and, and flipping over the conventional wisdom, is certainly a repudiation of the conventional wisdom. But it's also taking a very straightforward approach. It's also saying, oh, hold on a second. What would a normal person think should be done here? How do you respond when someone's doing something you don't like? Do you sit there and suffer in silence because you don't want to say something to them that might upset them? Or do you tell them, hey, knock that off? One of the points of brilliance when it comes to Trump's approach to governance is that he just does what a person would do who hasn't been brainwashed with political speak and all of these so-called consensus or conventional wisdom opinions. So now we've got this deal, and, and the, the left is, is trashing it because they're going to trash anything that Trump does because it makes some changes for automakers, dairy farmers, labor unions, and some large corporations. The USMCA, U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement. And uh, yeah, you have this in place. You have this place. By the way, China, China. Come on, John, where are you? Where are you on that one? China has six hundred and thirty five billion dollars. There we go. Of imports and exports in it. These are imports and exports of the America's top trading partners. Twenty seventeen China, six hundred and thirty five billion. Canada, five hundred and eighty one billion. Mexico, five hundred and fifty seven billion. Then it drops way down to Japan, two hundred and four billion. But so. Canada and Mexico, very important trade partners for us. Number two and number three, respectively, right? China's number one. Do a tremendous amount of trade with China. Um, But there are some adjustments here with regard to automobile production. They're incentivizing production of cars and trucks in countries that pay higher wages. Uh, Quote, it reduces barriers for Americans from the New York Times. Dairy farmers to sell cheese, milk, and other products to Canada. It retains a tribunal for resolving trade disputes and the United States, which the United States had sought to eliminate. It guarantees Canadian and Mexican manufacturers expanded access to some large American markets, such as cars and light trucks, uh, but leaves some questions about steel tariffs. I mean, this is a big, dare I say, a big deal. This is a big victory. 
any other administration pull this off, folks. Anyone else manage to do this? And the response would be, oh, my gosh, wow. You mean it only took somebody about 20 years to come around and say, hold on a second, we need to renegotiate this deal, which NAFTA from 1990, 1995, I think, maybe it's 94, didn't really have the Internet to deal with at the time. A tremendous amount has changed with regard to trade and how industry uh, is done and what people are buying and what the consumer markets are. It's time for this deal to get updated. That's what's really happened here. The president managed to pull it off. Anyone else would be this would be considered a victory, but it's Trump. It's Trump. And so the response is always, oh, well, it's not, you know, it's it's not good enough. Oh, he, he didn't he didn't really manage something that's as good as you're being told it is. Of course, told that is by people like me and a, a bunch of others, but not the mainstream media, not the overwhelming number of media outlets out there they're so invested in telling you that trump is a bumbling buffoon that he can't do anything right that he's terrible in negotiation that he has no idea what he's doing this is what they'll tell you um this doesn't square with the reality though and you know i'm i'm out here in this this conference uh with stansbury research some of you know them because i do a podcast with their with their founder and chairman and Stansbury is a it's a great group. I, I've learned a lot about investing in finance from them. I really enjoy working with them. But they bring out all these experts, experts on trade and cryptocurrency and investing and all kinds of things. I mean, just a whole slew of it's three days of uh, world class experts and speakers. I brought my buddy Sean Parnell out this year. Yeah. Sean did a great job, by the way. If you ever get a chance to uh, hear Sean tell the first major enemy contact he had in Afghanistan. Maybe I'll have him come on and tell us that story. And it'll just be kind of fun. I'll, I'll sit back with all of you and just relax, kick up my feet on the desk and be like, oh, Sean's got story time for us. But I'm speaking to all these different people who are very involved in the markets, the economy, and they have to be right. You know, that's one thing. You get a lot of these people that go on TV, oh, no, I'm an economist. I love a crutch of the numbers. Oh, this is what Paul Krugman says. I'm talking to people that have to be right because of where they're putting their money, where they're investing, what they're doing. And even the ones that were very skeptical of Trump, and there's a lot of Trump skeptics out here that I'm talking to, even those who are skeptical of Trump are saying, look, you can't disregard the results. And that's what people want to do. I'm not even saying, you know, you're not allowed to argue that the results aren't as good as people say. Fine, if people want to quibble over how good the results have been, that's one thing. But you can't disregard them. You can't say, oh, the economy is amazing, but it's not Trump that did this. Or Trump doesn't get any credit for this. That just, that's being unreasonable. That's not looking at the evidence and making decisions uh, based on what's, well, making, coming to conclusions based on what's really happening here. Uh, then there's some other stuff that I know has been said about Trump in the last day or so. You had a, a union leader, a union leader, no less, thanking Trump for tax breaks. Play 13. Thanks to Mr. Trump and the tax reforms and the um, general confidence in the economy, I guess, we have really been able to invest more in our employees and grow our company in the last year. We're investing more in employee wages and benefits and bonuses. We're spending millions on equipment and assets. And in general, we're just seeing a huge increase in work that is coming out because utilities are spending more to update this aging infrastructure. So thank you very much. It's made a huge impact. 
So we are looking to grow about uh, 20 to 30 percent more in employees just in the next few months. We have a lot of large projects that are starting, and um, this will make, I think, a big difference. And really, these incentives that are good for businesses are really important for our, our employees, but also the communities we work in. And we've really been thankful and have seen this since President Trump has been in office. So that's a union leader telling you what the tax break has meant for the union that she represents, for the employees, the people showing up, trying to earn a living, trying to pay their mortgage, feed their families. And all this positive stuff she's saying, are you getting that message elsewhere? It's not rocket science, folks. If you have more money, if your business has to give less of the money that it makes, if you have to have less of your property taken from you by the government, then you are in a better position to invest, to pay people more, to grow, to compete. This is, it's so straightforward, isn't it? Democrats come up with all these convoluted theories about, how, oh no, we need a higher tax structure. Why should we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world? Why does that make sense? Someone explain that to me. Because we get the best government services for our businesses? That's a laugh. And it's not even just the tax breaks that have resulted in so many benefits and, and so much good stuff going on. Uh, there's also... The regulatory environment change, which I, I I'm, I'm speaking. I'm going to play some more, some more, uh, another soundbite here for you from a small business owner at this Trump rally. But I'm talking to small business owners just for for days. I'm out here in Vegas for three days. Viva Las Vegas! I'm out here for three days, and I'm talking to all these different people from industry and and corporate America, and even the ones who don't like Trump's style or don't align with them on all of his policies. They're saying what he is doing is working. What Obama was doing before was bad. It makes it harder for businesses. When you think that growing massive government programs, spending more money on entitlements, a trillion-dollar stimulus giveaway to left-wing interests, when you think that's the most productive way to use capital, you're wrong. Bad things happen. When you let the business of the American people be business, to borrow from Calvin Coolidge, good things can happen. And that also means de regulating and here's one of the uh steve giannotti at the small business rally that trump had or at the rally he's a small business owner play 14 first i'd like to uh thank president trump for helping us with uh, his fiscal policy which have enabled my company arcadia electric to bid on more work and uh take on more jobs um that we're able to do now because we have more coming um that's available to us uh, more than ever before. And as a result of that, um, we have been able to keep our 120 people employed. But next year, we anticipate hiring 25% more uh, hardworking union workers, middle class um, workforce. Thank uh, the President of the United States for his perseverance and uh, for enabling us to uh, get this work. And um, to change the regulatory policies that he's been doing, that he spoke of earlier. This is all helpful to us. So, President Trump, thank you. Thank you very what, what is the what is the counterpoint to this, really? We're going to hear in a, in a few minutes, we'll talk about how Elizabeth Warren's like, I need to turn the country around. My Warren and my Hillary impression are very similar because I find them very similar, even though they're, I guess, pretty different. We need to turn the country around, she said earlier today. We've got that sound for you. Turn around how? Make it worse? Make us more poor? 
turn around this wealth creation, turn around the investment and the job creation. That that's what we're going to turn around. It's this is what you get from the left, though. Even when things are going well, even things that they hate things that work, if it is ideologically not working because of what they said, right? If it goes against their ideology, then it doesn't matter that it's bringing all kinds of benefits to people and doing all sorts of good stuff. So I, I got to say, I'm hearing it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Lots of business owners, lots of investment professionals, and they're saying this Trump economy is the real deal. We should remember that going into the midterms. It's an honor and a privilege to bring you my thoughts on the things that matter to us as Americans every day. And you know your opinion matters too, team. That's why I'm excited to tell you about this new social media site, snippy.com. If you're frustrated with the discourse on your social media pages and looking for an alternative take on conventional conversation, Snippy is it. Its founders have created a forum where people can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. On Snippy.com, you can write about what's on your mind, upload photos, and strike up a conversation about anything. You can search the site by topic category, see what's trending, check out the news feed, and follow your favorite writers. Most importantly, you can enjoy freedom of expression without suppression from administrators. No shadow banning, no left-wing bias, no conversational health nonsense. Snippy.com is a place where discussion is valued and your opinion matters. Free to join for all, no agenda, no censorship ever. Go to Snippy.com to set up your free account just like I have, S-N-I-P-P-Y dot com. He has been uh, uh, racist, he's been sexist, he's been Islamophobic, he has been uh, anti-LGBTQ. Uh, I mean, there's a long list. It, it, I don't think it's useful to say, oh, we figured it out, this is what he is. He has a view of America that is incredibly constricted. And he talks to that America. He talks to them all the time. And it's by no means a majority, as we know, um, but it is a very hardcore who are responding to him and supporting him for a variety of reasons, um, whatever they might be, economic reasons, uh, Supreme Court reasons, or some of these other um, more troubling biases and prejudices. I'm Hillary, and I support this message that nobody votes for Trump except for racists really what she believes she, she really seems to think that there's nothing to trumpism other than a celebration of other isms the left and and certainly the hillary clinton left and the army of the army of toadies that have surrounded her the the access groveling clowns from the democratic party that are oh hillary you're amazing you're a good politician you should run for office they, they haven't given up. They don't think that it's just going to go away. They don't think that Hillary Clinton will stop. They, I believe, think that Hillary's going to run again. And what she tells people, what, what her message is really, is that there's nothing to Trump except Trumpism is the other isms all put together. Racism, sexism, Islamophobiaism. I know it's a little different, but Islamophobia is an idiotic term. It doesn't even, it says nothing. And it's not that people are phobic of radical Islam. It's that they are aware of radical Islam and know the problems that it causes, particularly in the Muslim world, I would note. But she uh, she hasn't learned her lesson, folks. She has not. There's nothing about her right now that makes me think that not only has 
Hillary's delusional. I get it, right? She's still running around. What happened? I mean, she's still writing this book or rather you know, peddling the lies in the book. She's not writing it. First of all, she never writes her book. So that was a total misnomer. Misspoke. She did not write the book. She hasn't written any of her 15 books. But her goal is to continue to justify the fact that she lost to a complete non-politician despite having the entirety of the liberal media at her beck and call, despite all the things that she could call upon in order to make herself the president of the United States. The second time around, after Obama managed to uh, steal her cookies the first time, she wants everybody to know that Trump is just the worst. He's such a meanie. He's so bad. And I still look around, and this brings me what we were talking about a moment ago, and I say, what is the big problem here? There's such a disconnect. I, I've said this before. I'm at least willing to, to hear from people about how they thought that Bush, you know, Bush was evil and he's a war criminal and he's doing all these terrible, terrible things. Uh, and, you know, when you've got people in harm's way in our, our military, when we're losing soldiers overseas, I can I can at least sit around it and take seriously the argument that somebody got us into a war we shouldn't be. And that's a real argument. That's an argument we should always be willing to have. I think that what they said about Bush was terrible, and I think they went over the top. I think they misunderstood the real threat of radical Islam. That's a whole other discussion. But at least there's a real understanding of the downside, and there's a premise that we can engage in. That America's in terrible shape right now, this is a myth that that the left, that Hillary, that Obama, that all these big Democrat politicians keep peddling. It's just a myth. It's not true. The country's doing really well. I think back to at the end of last year when the stock market was just roaring and cryptocurrency and some other stuff was really uh, doing very well. And, and I remember saying to you all, you know, we're going to have a great, a great 2018. And it sounded maybe a little too, one of you actually wrote to me and said, Buck, you're sounding way too positive. Well, here we are in 2018. Economically, it has been fantastic. Isn't it an amazing thing to see the Democrat Party align against prosperity? align against things working the way they're supposed to work. That's what they're doing. Or, you know, or they say that, oh, we have Obama to thank for this, which is which is hilarious and obviously very dishonest. But those are the two options they present to us. It's never, hey, maybe there's something we have to learn from Trump. Maybe putting a businessman in charge instead of having some career politician who's just been reading speeches that other people write for him or her was a good idea. You saw it. And now we're living with the results. It's time for women to go to Washington and fix our broken government, and that includes a woman at the top. After November 6th, I will take a hard look at running for president. I think we can do They have moved so far left that Pocahontas is considered a conservative. Elizabeth Warren, she said she's considering a run for the presidency. Please, please run. How about that group, Biden? Biden. He's a, he's a real genius. I want to challenge him to a fight behind the barn. Oh, would I love that. Wouldn't that be good? Elizabeth Warren making a pretty clear step in the direction of running for president in 2020. I will tell you this. 
unless the economy has a catastrophic implosion between now and then, she has, in my mind, no chance, and I mean no chance, of defeating Donald Trump. Just doesn't have it. Doesn't have the skills. And I think that she's also already really been marginalized by building a career based on racial fraud. That's what she did. She became a senator because she was a Harvard law professor. She became a Harvard law professor because she claimed that she was a Native American on an application there. Now, I would say that I'm actually in favor of doing that, meaning I'm in favor of using the system in that way, but only to bring the system crumbling down and to be open and honest about it and say, oh, no, I know I'm not Native American, but I claimed it. I think I'm uh, I think I'm about two percent, according to my brother's ancestry DNA. I think I'm two percent. So could I claim Native American status? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I don't I don't know. But it's worth a shot. But I don't think Warren speaking of a shot. I don't think Warren's got a shot. And the fact that she's even talking about this for 2020 just goes to show you, wow, Democrats have a very weak bench right now. Also, this notion that she needs to turn the country around. And I I keep returning to this notion at this point because I I have to tell you, I'm I'm sitting here and I keep saying to myself, what exactly is it that Democrats hate so much about what's happening around us? What is really their objection again? We're not starting wars in countries we don't need to be at war in. We don't have some we don't have the worst thing happening in this country right now is how crazy the Democrats are. That's just the truth. There's nothing that's going on right now that you say to yourself, oh, my gosh, if this doesn't stop, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what kind of shape we're going to be in. No, that's that's not reality. Reality is that overall, the country is doing quite well. Overall, the country is on a very solid trajectory. And you could say it's a it's the strongest economy, certainly since the year 2000. So in almost 20 years, some people would say strongest economy more like 40 or 50 years. A really strong economy. So I I have to ask, what does she think needs to be turned around exactly? That Trump tweets out mean things? What what part of what she's saying here is based in reality versus what part of this is just demagoguery? You know, the usual stuff we'd expect from what? I'm going to be president in 2020. She has no charisma, no charm, nothing. And man, people are going to get really testy with all of the mockery that's going to come her way for claiming that she's Native American when we know she's not. I mean, look, there's nothing there's I'm not trying to say that being a school snob is a good thing, but she didn't have the academic pedigree to become a Harvard professor without it. It's not like it was a close call, like she went to an Ivy League law school and then she wanted to be a professor at Harvard. She went to a state school in New Jersey, not a particularly, you know, selective state school. Again, not trying to be a jerk. But she used because you can get a great education, folks, at any of these schools now. Really, it's all up. It's all up to you. It's all based on whether you do the work. I guess that's a that's a conversation we can get into uh, another time. But, yeah, I really do look at this now and and try to get a sense as to whether Warren's going to run in 2020. And I hope she does, man. Trump will have a field day with her. And it also means that Trump is a shoo in my opinion. For four more years. Roll call's up next. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Team, 
a Vegas version of Roll Call. That's what we got going on now. Facebook.com slash Buck Saxon if you want to be in on this action. Let's get to it. Mike writes, more evidence of Bigfoot than there is of the allegations against Kavanaugh. Shields high. Mike, I think that that's a... I, I, I see where you're going with that. I see where you're going with that. Um, and now we have Thomas, who writes, Buck, I know I said I was going to stop commenting here for a while, but I can't let this slide. For about five minutes last Friday, I thought Lindsey Graham had become a Republican when he let go on the progressive saying, you want power? You want power? I pray you never get it. Something similar to that. Then tonight he was on Hannity and Fox and suggested that if the vote for Kavanaugh comes up short, the Senate should farm his confirmation out to the states as a referendum. That is exactly what the, pre, uh, what the progressives want. It will fully politicize the Supreme Court and totally abolish judicial process for appointments to any position. Lindsey Graham is recommending a new precedent, one that gives progressives total authority to eliminate the U.S. Constitution and civil rights. Um, shields high. Thomas, I got to hear. I don't know what this... Uh, I don't know what this statement is by Lindsey Graham, so I'll have to check that out, but I I appreciate you writing in. Craig, Halloween, Amity Horror, Jaws, those were scary and intense movies. Oh, yeah, When a Stranger Calls. I'm assuming, Craig, that you are writing in in reference to what my esteemed guest host, uh, the godfather, Michael Pelka, had to say. If somebody was asking me what I think the scariest movies are, I would have to say, to me, it's no question the scariest movie is The Exorcist because there's enough of it that I find believable. There's, there's enough behind that movie that for me it, it, is, it conjures up some stuff. And also, as I've told you all many times before, I, am, uh, I, I lived for a while right next to the stairs from that movie, the stairs from the very, the very final scene. Paul writes, Buck, getting away from the Kavanaugh story for just a moment, I was, a, I was bit at least a dozen times last night on the porch in California. Death to all mosquitoes. Paul, I totally agree. Death to all mosquitoes. I hate them. I refuse to believe. Species die-off happens all the time. In fact, if you look at the percentage of species in existence today uh, versus what all the species have been over the full course of time— what I can tell you is that species have been dying off in much, much, much greater numbers than they live in now. It's a tiny, I think something like less than 1% of all species of the past are still alive today. Don't quote me on that number. But you're going to tell me that we can't, we can't exist without mosquitoes? Bull crap. Bull crap. They're evil. They kill people. They're not, there's nothing good about them. There's plenty of other bugs. I don't think we have a shortage of bugs out there, folks. Plenty of other bugs for people to eat. If we can create a zombie gene, or no, that would be back, and they'd come back to life. If we can create a, a kill switch gene, that's what I'm looking for. A kill switch gene for mosquitoes, I say we go all in, no questions. Sandra, you are amazing. Keep up your good work. We all need to fight this evil and corruption together. Sandra, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. I can't say I, well... I can't say I'm amazing because that would be weird, but I appreciate what you're saying. And uh, it means a lot, especially because with putting myself on the front lines as much as I can of the defense of rule of law and Kavanaugh's honor and dignity, 
I'm, I'm taking a lot of incoming these days, and the team keeps me in the fight. You know, the team is I, – I, I have to stand strong. I can't let any of you down, and so I'm, I'm on it. Sally writes the following. I read the Ford-Kavanaugh hearing transcript, and I'm dismayed to realize that Kavanaugh is a bullying manipulator. The senators asked him many straightforward questions that needed a yes or no, and he threw out red herrings without responding to the question. He came back with, and what about you? He clearly responded to questions not asked and ignored the ones that were asked, frequently attacking the questioner. When asked about his drinking behavior in school, he spoke indignantly about going to church, getting good grades, and volunteering at soup kitchens. I, unfortunately, have been well-schooled in this communication style by a narcissist ex. The behavior of all these types of participants was appalling, but unfortunately rather familiar. Um, and a bunch of privileged prep school kids with way too much money and freedom and no supervision. I saw some of that when I was in school. And does anyone remember Animal House? That movie made its mark because it was real. This was not a fantasy about space aliens. Um, those yearbook entries tell the tale. Beach Week Ralph Club, 100 Kegger Club, Renati alumnus, and the most telling Devil's Triangle, which basically describes what Miss Ford says happened with the two boys. He dismissed them all with flimsy explanations that would never succeed during questioning by any parent or principal or dean. Doesn't he realize that many of us were there? And his calendar shows he was with two of the three people. Uh, like, I got, I got to tell you, um, I, I just disagree with everything you're saying, Sally. And, and I say that with respect. I think that you are, I can't say misinterpreting, but I think that you are not properly contextualizing how a person like Kavanaugh would feel under the circumstances. I think that you're taking a lot of your outside observations about, as you say, preppy spoiled kids and, and transposing that onto a man when it doesn't matter if other people have done terrible things when they're in prep school. It doesn't matter if fraternity brothers are often uh, incoherently drunk and there's far too much sexual misconduct among them. None of that actually matters when you're looking at the innocence or guilt of an individual. Did Kavanaugh do this thing? Is there evidence to believe he did this thing? I answer those questions, no and no. And I also think that you're, you're being far too kind to Dr. Ford's very selective memory. And her recall is such that she cannot be challenged on anything. And she is only certain that Kavanaugh is the bad guy. I find that a little too convenient. I don't believe it. I don't believe that her memory is accurate. Maybe she believes that this happened to her, but I do not think that her recollection of events squares with reality. That said, Sally, I do like when people write in who disagree. I do like when people want to try to either convince me of their side or just have a different voice heard. So don't feel like I'm in any way trying to uh, shut you down or shout you down. I, I just have to tell you, I, I strongly disagree with your entire premise on all of this. Um, or I should say, I disagree with your analysis on all of this. Max writes, hey, Buck, uh, with the new FBI investigation, look into the, will the new FBI investigation look into the new accuser's background? Will we learn if Blasey Ford ever had a substance abuse problem or a diagnosis of bipolar disorder or borderline personality? Will we learn what she was like in high school and college or if she ever complained of any other instance of sexual assault or having been molested? Aren't these things that we should know to assess the reliability of her memories from 36 years ago? 
Max, let me tell you, uh, I, I agree in the sense that your question here is why is it that we don't get any answers about Blasey Ford? Why is it that Blasey Ford is uh, sacrosanct? She cannot be cross-examined. She cannot be challenged. Her sexual history when she was uh, in high school, her sexual history in college or as an adult beyond that, none of that can be discussed, none of that. Meanwhile, Kavanaugh can be trashed. Why is that? Because he's accused? I'm sorry, but we have a system of justice that relies upon oppositional narratives. And it's not just you get the first crack at somebody and then they don't get to come back and tell their side of the story. All right, this is fundamental to our justice system. We are letting it be abused in front of us right now because there are so many people that just want to believe Blasey Ford, desperately want to believe it for reasons of politics, for reasons of their own emotional attachment to the notion of sexual abuse as something that is not taken seriously. I reject that, by the way. I think that sexual abuse is taken very seriously. There's a reason that sexual abuse in many different, you know, many different iterations is a very serious felony and people go to prison for a long time. So I, I reject this narrative that sexual abuse is not taken seriously, which a lot of people seem to want to believe. Uh, Jennifer writes, hey there, podcast listener here. First, thank you for being a voice of sanity and reason and being hilarious at the same time. Quick question. Maybe you can help me with this. In terms of the lie detector test, what I have seen released was documentation of Miss Ford being asked two questions by the administrator in regards to the statement she wrote. But she testified to an invasive and arduous process that was longer than she expected. She told her whole life story being asked a lot of questions and crying a lot. Which is it? As a person who has had to observe lie detector tests being administered, I've never seen a two-question test. They are similar to her description under oath. Long. Did I miss something? In this news cycle, it's possible. No, Jennifer, I don't think you missed anything. I think the two-question test seemed suspect to me all along, and I think that the whole polygraph in the way that they have been trying to hold this up as the biggest piece of objective evidence they have, I think that it's uh, I, I think it's a scam, quite honestly. I think that polygraphs aren't used in court for a good reason. And I think that we should all be very clear that what's going on here is all coordinated. If you didn't want if she didn't want to come forward, why did she take that polygraph? No one's ever given me a satisfactory answer, answer to that question. No one. Raymond Shields Highbuck, unrelated to current political happenings. I've heard you speak briefly on investments and some Stansbury research related information. Could you briefly speak your opinion on real estate investing? I've heard that Sean Hannity is a big investor, and I'd like to hear your opinion, Ray. Well, Ray, I can tell you that I don't even own a home, so my real estate advice would be something that I'd be very shy about giving. Uh, I would just say that, you know, if you're my only advice from what I've seen in my own life from friends and people I know is your first property that you buy should be a home. It should be a place you want to live. I, I would tend to avoid taking out loans and everything else for an investment property if you yourself don't have a home. That, may, that maybe is even too obvious to tell people, but that would be my only that would be my only thing. I really don't have any knowledge about real estate investing, my friend. I appreciate you listening to the Investor Hour podcast, though, and I thank you for uh, writing in. Tony writes, Buck, listen to your show every day. The right to be heard is not a right. You, as an American citizen, have a right to free speech. You do not have a right to be heard. Just more crap the left is trying to mainstream. Thanks for all you do. Well, Tony, thank you for listening. And folks, uh, thank you again for joining me here for a Freedom Hunt Vegas style. Hey, Vegas. 
Uh, It's been great. I'll be back with you tomorrow, live from the Freedom Hut. Until next time, shields high. You know what's not smart? Keeping your fingers crossed and hoping that if you just post a few things here and there for a job opening online, you're going to get the best possible candidates. You know what is smart? Using ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck allows you to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes straight from the Trustpilot, which has over a 1,000 reviews. All right, check it out for yourself. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire.